Welcome to Protest and Survive number six. I'm your host, Reed Dunley. In this podcast, we have conversations with people who do both creative work and activist work. If you feel so inclined to send any financial support our way, you can do so at anchor.fm slash protest and survive. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. When Rodrigo Duterte became president of the Philippines in 2016, he vowed to fight crime and drugs throughout the country and urged ordinary Filipino citizens to do the same. This is what he said in his inauguration speech. I know that there are those who do not approve of my methods of fighting criminality. The sale and use of illegal drugs and corruption. They say that my methods are unorthodox and verge on the illegal. The fight will be relentless and it will be sustained. In three years of Duterte's presidency, tens of thousands of Filipinos have been killed in the streets or their homes. A July 2019 report by Amnesty International showed that the Philippines government has officially acknowledged the police killings of 6,600 people. It also states that another 20,000 people have been killed by non-government, quote, unknown armed persons. The report details the killings of predominantly poor Filipinos across the country with the police, quote, planting evidence, recruiting paid killers, stealing from the people they kill, and fabricating official incident reports. Our guest is AJ Santos. If AJ were still living in the Philippines, he might have been a target of the drug war. Unfortunately, his friends are. AJ grew up using drugs, running with gangs, and eventually playing in punk bands in a remote area outside of Manila, the capital of the Philippines. An alarming number of his friends back home have been killed, jailed, or forced into hiding by Duterte's war on drugs. But in 2013, AJ came to the United States. He plays in two Filipino punk bands in New York City, and he's an organizer with Migrante International, an immigrant rights organization that is part of the National Democratic Movement of the Philippines. AJ never really expected to be an activist. Here's what he has to say about it. I need to do this because I have to. It's not even like a choice for me. I'm not trying to be edgy. I don't, I didn't choose this life. I didn't, I'm not like, I don't even consider myself an activist. I'm just a punk rocker, yo. I'm just a punk rocker who happened to be politicized. So here we are. One note for this episode is that we worked closely with AJ's immigration lawyer to make sure we were protecting AJ, his family, and his community. You will hear some identifiers bleeped out and other sections were entirely deleted. Thanks for listening. And without further ado, here is AJ Santos on Protest and Survive. What's up? Uh, my name is AJ Santos, and do I need to say my band? Yeah, what's yeah. your band? Yeah, I played I played the uh, uh, guitar and sing sing for Namatay Saying I. And I play drums and material support. Tell me about your bands. My bands are not good. No, I'm just kidding. 
Yo, uh, so I started uh, this band called Namatay Sa Ingay, like 2014, I think. Yeah, it's just uh, basic hardcore punk shit. I don't even trying to like make it like a big deal. We were just like drinking buddies, just hanging out with Boomba actually. Rest in peace, dude. So I got to meet Boomba and we started this band. The main purpose of it is just like to bring stories from back home here. Just share everything. I don't even consider it a political band. I never call any of my bands political because I think everything is political. Yeah, I also play in material support. I play drums for that. We started that like four years ago, three years ago. Yeah, and uh, the singer and the basis of that band, I met at my other band's first show. And we just kind of clicked. And they were like talking to me about, oh, I wanted to start a punk band. I want to start a punk band, dude. And I was just like, why not do it now? Let's do it. So I just pushed them. And we jammed for a bit. And uh, we clicked. So we wrote two songs on our first jam. And then... <laughs> Because uh, Jackie, the singer, is uh, also like uh, an activist, also a lawyer now. But she was still a law student before. And Miles is like uh, uh, an organizer too. So when I heard their lyrics, I was blown away. I was like, I did not expect this. But these lyrics are fucking, fucking cool. So yeah, it started from there. And what what are their lyrics about? Yo, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, their lyrics are like, about like bougie ass white girls <laughs> just just like talking shit about i don't know there's a lot of there's a lot of good lyrics uh, coming out of uh, uh Jackie's mind and the thing about this band is just like uh, when when other punk bands this is how i always tell them what do you think about our band so here's what i think about material support to everybody that's listening all right I think material. Uh, when other punk bands are singing, "Fuck the police, fuck the government, I'm anti-racist, fuck the racist, fuck the Nazis," uh, material support is actually saying how you will fuck the police, how you will fuck the government through organizing and mobilization, how you will fucking beat up skinheads, or I mean Nazis. Sorry about that. It will actually provide you detailed stuff of how we're gonna do that. So I think that's the difference and it really empowers people, especially people of color, marginalized people. And yeah, I think it's important. That band is important. Yeah. Do both of your bands sing in like multiple languages? Namatay Sainge mostly sings in Tagalog, but Material Support mostly sings in English because Jackie uh, is a Filipino-American. She was born and raised here. Does it make any difference to you which language it's in? Mm, not really, but for me, for Namatay Sainge, because uh, there's a lot of like uh, things that you can say in Tagalog that you cannot translate well in English, especially with like an emotional feel, like emotional thing that comes with it. It's hard to translate it to English. I don't think there's like a, an equivalent. So I would rather just sing in Tagalog and just like spit it out with like fucking boom 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 rather than just like sing in english but really can't translate it well tell me about yourself generally i moved to the states like six years ago just 
for like any other Filipino uh, just to find better opportunities and shit. How did you come to the U.S.? Did you come for like work stuff or like? Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I, I, when I was in the Philippines, I grew up as like, a, I didn't have like that regular childhood because I was really like, a, a, I mean, my personal life, my my life was just like a, being a junkie and shit because I was really into like uh, crystal meth back home. It's like, a, I don't know, it's a thing. <laughs> so basically most of my teenage years, I was just like high every time. And then, uh, yeah, and... I dropped out of college and uh, tried to like live on my own. Like uh, work at the, I worked at a call center for a bit. That's how I got a little better in English. <laughs> like a call center, like people calling for yeah. customer support sort of yeah. thing. Like yeah. Americans calling us for customer support. <laughs> yeah. What um, what kind of company was it? Yeah, I work for Dell Financial Services. Yeah. yeah it's funny. <laughs> Wait, so that's like Dell, like the computer company? Dell, the computer company. Yeah. So we Dude, get... you got to get a Dell. Dude, you're getting a Dell. What we did was just like give credit to like people who wants computers. So that's how I grew up. Uh, like from since I was 12, 13 years old, I was already... Uh, uh, dr- using drugs and shit and it's hard to like get out of that world but i kind of not regret it too because uh, at those times like I, I met really 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 uh good people and also like uh, people who are really suffering i mean like really suffering so i kind of not regret it <laughs> so basically that's it and then i drop out of college i worked at call center and I had a daughter. <laughs> so I had a daughter and how old were you? I was like 27, I think, when I had a, my daughter. And at that time I was just like I'm not going to let my daughter grow up I mean just embarrassed with me cuz I was really fucked up. I was like involved in gangs. I was doing trouble all the time. Yeah, I was like one of like the notorious guys or kids in her hometown yeah and i was well known for that doing making trouble and like all my friends are like drug dealers and shit all of those kinds of people uh that's my that was that was my world for a while but at the same time though the good thing about it is like at the same time that, that i was doing that uh i was involved in the punk scene too so f- the punk scene for me back home was like uh my sanctuary actually because uh, I met these kids that are just like me. Like, they're like, some of them are just like fuck ups. Some of them are just like rejects and like what what they call like scums of society. That's what they call me. So I was like, I, I, I was with these kids and I found my community finally and someone will, who will accept me. So uh, I started playing in bands, <clears throat> uh, even in like the remote hometown, even if we don't have like, a bunch of resources or like we just use whatever we have back there so yeah that's how i got involved in the punk scene were there certain bands or anything that politicized you specifically yeah actually it, it's kind of cool because uh uh there's this 80s punk band called dead ends and my band was named after after one of their albums and i just started listening to it and it's all in tagalog
it's just songs about just like even not not even like having like a political line or ideology it's just like basic stuff we're tired of this government blah 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 there's something you can do some, some lyrics like that and yeah i was kind of like uh, hooked up into that yeah that ends all this 80s punk bands gi and the idiots my friend lend me gi and the idiots tape And uh, Urban Bandits too. And you're from? You're saying you live in a in a small town in the Philippines? Yeah, it's like a remote small town. It's not even like it's not. It's like an hour from Manila, but it's like all farms and shit. Like yeah, what's it called? It's called. It's kind of remote. <laughs> yeah. And we don't have a lot of like shit going on back there. But I was proud to like do some, like organize some shows there. So yeah, yeah that's that's a sweet thing that I can remember that shit uh, whenever I'm down. I'm, I'll be like, oh, I did this. So I guess I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Did your parents do like farming? It was a farm area? No. My granddad or my grandfather was a farmer and my Grand grandmother is uh, owns like a small store. We call it Sari Sari store because it's a mix of things. You can buy toothpaste, toothbrush, uh, like all supplies. And yeah, she owned the store, and the store kind of like uh, grew up, and she was able to provide good education for her kids. So yeah, my mom went to college, and she was able to graduate in journalism, but. She didn't pursue that. She was an activist uh, before too. But the thing is, she fought with the underground resistance during martial law with uh, Ferdinand Marcos. My uh, countrymen, as of the 21st of uh, this month, I signed proclamation number 1081, placing the entire Philippines under martial law. Marcos was really like trying to suppress everyone especially uh, activists during that time and my mom uh, was hunted even hunted by by the military and she was like telling me the stories about how her f- comrades or f- her friends was tortured were tortured and were killed and yeah she she stopped because she was a little bit maybe disillusioned because uh, some of her her comrades also snitched so because they were scared, of course. So yeah. can't blame the, blame her for that. But yeah, after that, uh, I think she had a baby and just started her own small store too. And that store grew big. And yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. I mean, I've never been to the Philippines and I don't know a lot about it in terms of like the drug scene and crystal meth. Was that like a part of the punk scene too? Was that a thing that was like kind of intertwined? Actually, the the drug scene or the crystal meth is not part of the punk scene. It's part of the whole society. It's so messed up because it eats up everything. Like the country is so impoverished or like the country is so poor that you have. I mean, I met a lot of people in this like urban poor areas, like urban poor communities. They just have nothing. They just have drugs. I mean, you can't you can't even like um, 
have a good education. So what you will do is just like uh, sell some drugs. It's the easiest way. And also some of them gets hooked. If, 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 for example, if you're like a jeepney driver and you want more money, you have to take crystal meds just so, just so you can like earn more hours or like do drive like all night all night long and do graveyard ship and you'll see a lot of like workers who got hooked because of just that idea that it gives you energy and some of them doesn't have any food and it's cheaper to just like do meth because you don't have to eat for like two days just drink water yeah, yeah it's crazy what's it called it's called shabu shabu yeah yeah like you buy it from there's mad drug dealers around like you, you buy it in a little bag like what's yeah it? you buy it in a little bag it's like everywhere you go to like a corner and there's someone selling selling it it's yeah. so cheap you can buy like something for a dollar why and like how did you decide to stop doing it yeah my baby my kid was born uh i just i, I know it's kind of cheesy but yeah, I mean, my baby was born, and I just looked at her at the nur- outside the nursing. What do you call that? The, the nursery. Like, yeah, the nursery. Yeah. And she kind of looked like me, <laughs> and I was like, that 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 moment, I really had a thought that I got I gotta do something because I don't want her to grow up just like being embarrassed of me because I was really like a, I was known to be like a fucking like crazy person back home and yeah. i just i'm just tired of it just got tired of it why were like you particularly known to be a crazy person yeah because i i used to be like in gangs even my some of my friends like drug dealers and were known to just like kick people's ass for no reason <laughs> yeah i i'm I, i'm fucked up back then so i was like I was a bad kid <laughs> and it really breaks my mom's heart. And you, some of my friends are in jail right now. Really? So how for like a long time? Yeah. Yeah. And if they, they, they didn't get killed in the Turtles drug war, then they're in jail. Yeah. So is that when you started working at Dell or you're working at Dell before that? <laughs> I worked, I, I was, I was still working at Dell. The thing about like working at, in the Philippines is it's never enough. It's like, I mean, that's the highest paying job that you can get uh, during those times, working at a call center. So if you finish engineering, if you finish uh, whatever whatever course you finish, even in, if you finish in like a, an Ivy League school or a prominent uh, university, you still won't get a good job. Because there are no opportunities, so all of them land landed in at call centers. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the thing. What's it like being, you know, so far away from home? What was it like moving to the United States? At first, it's kind of like awkward. I mean, it's it's just like a whole universe. It's a different thing. At first, I was just like shocked, culture shocked by everything. So, but I, I I always feel like I was different in uh, living in a, a different world, even when I was in the Philippines. So I'm kind of like, I'm used to just living in another world. So yeah, I adjusted real quick. So yeah. Did you come right to New York? Yeah. I went 
right in New York. How did it work? Did you have um, family here, friends here? How did you end up? I got an uncle that needs like uh, help with uh, his job at a building. So I, he's a superintendent. So I used to like do his garbage duties. If I do that, then he'll let he he lets me uh, stay and live in his couch. So yeah. basically, that's the deal. You help me with my job, and you can stay in, and live in my couch. Where and was I, that? It's in, and I did that for like six months, and then I was like, I need money so that I can send my daughter some money. But he can't give me money, so he's just like letting me live in his couch. So I asked him if I can apply for a job. So I took like a under the table job. But how did that go? Yeah, that was fun. I mean, it's a hard job, but it, it's fun because uh, I worked with a lot of Filipino workers too. And a lot of them are undocumented. And do you still do that? No, I work at a coffee shop now. Cool. Yeah. Do you miss the Philippines at all? I do. Actually, I do. Yeah. I miss the Philippines a lot. I always, I don't know. Man. It's just a different, it's just different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything about it specifically that you miss? It's not even like miss the Philippines. I kind of like miss my friends, of course, my family, of course. But at the same time, you miss miss the people. And when you realize uh, what they've been going through, because uh, I got organized here in the States. So I got organized here and uh, learning a lot of stuff that it gave me a lot of answers that I've been like really, really, really looking for what sort of answers i mean there's a, lo- a bunch of like problems that are like plaguing the philippine society i mean mainly there's like three i mean these are like three basic problems that we're trying to like uh, get rid of it's like u.s imperialism because the philippines is still like a semi-colonial and semi-feudal society and the u.s is one is just one of the like the biggest problems it's intervening in our uh, economy economic intervention and we're also trying to get rid of feudalism that still exists in the countryside you can't be- you won't believe that even now uh like farmers in the philippines use still use carabaos and there are still like haciendas in the philippines where they they whip people for work like slaves they whip them so they can work go to work i was even witness to that also we're trying to get rid of bureaucrat capitalism this is just like basic uh educational stuff that i learned so i'm gonna be all with the terms and shit but yeah bureaucrat capitalism is basically when like a, a political figure uses his influence for his business and vice versa versa so, for example, I own like a mining company. I'm going to run for Congress so that I can protect my interests. And the my daughters and my sons will run for Congress in the future, political dynasties, so that we can protect our interests. So basically, that's it. Now, everything just made more sense to me. It's like, oh, the reason why this, my, my, my former friends were drug dealing is because of this and that. So now I kind of like want to go back there and just like serve more to the community and like, I don't know, help the movement. Yeah. Yeah. Are you able to like keep in touch with people a lot and stuff? 
Yeah. A, a lot of them are like, just like, keep me, we kept in touch on Facebook and social media. Yeah. Yeah. How is like the drug war there affecting yeah. your friends and your community there? Yeah, actually, uh, the, my, f- one of my close friends just got killed. Like, I think a month ago now. Yeah. He was just killed. Sorry to hear that. Thank you. I mean, he got killed. He was like tortured. He got three shots in his chest. And then his body was dumped in the river. And they found his body in the river. And this this friend of mine, uh, I grew up with him. He sold me my first weed when I was 12 years old. And after moving here, we always talked to each other on Facebook. And he's always saying, yo, I miss you. We miss each other. I'm like, don't worry, dude. I'm going to come back. And don't worry, I'm going to help you find a better job. And this guy has been like, I know this guys for I know this guy for a long time. That I know who the real person behind this guy is. Like when when I was like really in trouble with a lot of stuff going on with my family. Uh, when I when I hit rock bottom, this guy was like there for me. Yo, he welcomed me at his house when. My family, my friends were just like disgusted by me because I was really, 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 really at my worst that time. And he welcomed me at his house. Like, I mean, I mean, even half of this space. So it's like a really, really tight space. We just like some plywood just to divide the rooms. And he has two kids living with him. And he just ate like, they always eat, eat uh, every day, they just eat like uh, cup noodles with rice, soup. And that's all they eat every day. And he even shared that to me. That's why I would never forget the per- this person. And what they did to my friend is just so fucked up that he's not even like a drug dealer. Yeah. So, yeah, when, when he was killed out, I, 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 I was really like, I can't. I can't, it fucked me up bad. And that time, I it hit me. It hit me real good. Because five of my friends are already died because of the drug war. And I don't know, maybe three, four more are in jail right now. And like five more are hiding. And some of them, uh, I helped them like give send money to them just so they can hide and get better jobs. Yeah, but... Sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. It really breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. It must be, like, really difficult to be so far away and see that sort of thing happening to people that you care about. Yeah. Sorry, dude. No, it's okay. Do you have other friends and family that you can be in touch with that are kind of like helping them yeah yeah actually they're all scared everyone is scared there because uh if you try to help them or like just like do something against local government or even just like this the president you can get killed too yeah so why was that sort of person able to come to power in the Philippines? The thing about Duterte when he was still campaigning is just like he projects an image of being like pro-poor and I'm progressive. 
and uh, a lot of people like that. Millions of people bought into his promises to get tough on crime, to be a man of action, a man who could get things done, uh, pointing to his experience down in the city of Davao. His style too, it felt very authentic to them. He didn't pretend to be something he wasn't. He had this uh, macho image, uh, but at the same time, he also like projected that, that yeah, the Philippines need uh, a disciplinarian so that we can get rid, rid of uh, crime. And he even like reiterated that he will like take care of drugs. He he's gonna stop drugs in just three to six months. And a lot of people are tired. I mean, a lot of people are just like sick of crime or corrupt politicians. That yeah, sure. I mean, this 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 guy's gonna change something because he did it in his city. So a lot of people believed him. And once he was elected. Uh, he even like uh, appointed like progressives in the cabinet, so a lot of like people believed in him, and then it just like turned 180 degrees like after a year or so, and then all of the promises that he made was actually lies. Yo, he started killing poor people, and uh, like poorest of the poor, even like even like scavengers. Even like tricycle drivers and drug lords are getting away with it. These are not the drug dealers who are being killed. Uh, these are the poor people, the people who cannot defend themselves, the people who are on a list, a random list um, that is not backed. There is no trial. There's no proof that the people being killed are even drug dealers. I think this is dangerous. In a country that has no rule of law, that normalizes extrajudicial killings, we have to demand better. No drug lord has ever been killed or like no corrupt cop or no corrupt politician has ever been killed. It's always the poor. Are there some of the issues that you've been, you're organizing around now? Yeah. Tell me about it. Here in the States, I'm part of like Migrante. It's like a migrant rights organization that's also part of a big alliance uh, that is called the National Democratic Movement of the Philippines. And uh, it consists of like different sectors of society who's just trying to like... Uh, uh, trying to achieve like genuine liberation in our country just like because it's been so long i mean yeah and uh, this sectors of society consists of students consists of artists and yeah and i discovered that there's some uh some mass organizations here in new york too so i was recruited and i was like thank you yeah thank you for recruiting me yeah i think it's important i mean but uh, I discovered about this shit when I was still in the Philippines because of punk. I was introduced to that because of punk. So, yeah. So next week, we're actually going to D.C. for a human rights summit. And that's why we're kind of like all busy and like promoting this shit. And uh, yeah, we're going to do we're going to do a human rights summit and just like rally at the Philippine embassy there and then do some live lobbying stuff. And we're trying to like just cut military aid to the Philippines. That's our campaign for now. Because this military aid is just killing our people. Not even killing like people who are involved in drugs. They're killing like activists. They're killing farmers. Just anyone who who's against the regime, you're gonna get killed.
And recently, it's funny because uh, there's uh, this journalist Maria Reza. He's the owner of Rappler. It's uh, like uh, an independent media company in the Philippines. And she was arrested again after speaking here in San Francisco about human rights violations in the Philippines. Right when she, uh, what do you call this, arrived from a plane, she got arrested and she was greeted by a bunch of cops. I was arrested twice in about five weeks and detained once. Um, And, you know, I have to say, I think it's just to make sure that I feel the power of the state. She was already arrested for seven times for nothing. Just Duterte, just Duterte, just inventing like trumped up charges against her. Yeah. Don't they say like it's for like libel? It's for like speaking. But that's bullshit. Yeah. I mean. Because what isn't? Yeah, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, if you're against the government, you're going to get arrested. I mean, worse, you're going to get killed. I mean, Maria Reza has a... Uh, she has a name. She's influential. But what about the farmers or the peasants in the rural areas who doesn't have something like that? Yeah. And you're organizing and trying to... <clears throat> you said the issue right now is trying to like cut... U.S. military aid yeah. to the Philippines. How do you work around that? And is that like kind of been like the main, the main issue that you've been working on with Migrante or with other organizations? Yeah, actually, uh, we're trying to just like raise awareness of what's really happening in the Philippines right now, and uh, what we're trying to like tell Americans: this is what uh, Trump is doing with your taxes. He's sending military aid to kill our people. I saw you. You posted a video. A while ago, maybe like a year ago, of you like speaking outside of the UN, I think. Oh, it's uh, at the in front of the consulate, Philippine consulate. Yeah. yeah. What was that like? It was my first time speaking at a rally. It's totally different when you're speaking or like when you're like doing a speech in a punk show though. But it's kind of like nerve nerve wracking. But at the same time, I was like, I need to do this because I have to. It's not even like a choice for me. I'm not trying to be edgy. I don't, I didn't choose this life. I didn't, I'm not like, I don't even consider myself an activist. I'm just a punk rocker, yo. I'm just a punk rocker who happened to be politicized. My friend just told me, hey, can you speak at the rally? And I was like, what the fuck, yo, why? <laughs> why me? I'm the last person that you would expect on a rally. Because I'm really not good at speaking in front of like people, especially uh, in English. So first thing I asked, can I say it in Tagalog or Filipino? Yes, you can. So I, I was on the subway and uh, I wrote a, like a speech in my notepad in my cell phone. And yeah, I spoke in front of uh, like maybe 20, 30 people. Itong laban na ito ay personal. At laban na hindi natin dapat pabayaan. Ilang kaibigan na natin ang namatay. Ilang kapamilya pa ba natin ang kailangan lumuha dahil sa patuloy na walang awang pagpatay sa mga kababayan nating mahihirap. Mga kababayan nating... They said they like it. And I mean, because it's from the heart maybe, but yeah, I always speak from the heart though. <laughs> Whenever I speak, I don't really like... I don't know... Uh, I don't really like prepare for it. I just like let it, whatever, dude, however I feel. I mean, some of this stuff you were talking about is obviously like pretty sad, pretty like heavy and hard to deal with, especially with your friends and stuff. Do you find that doing this activism and organizing means that you can 
you know, feel like you're helping and feel like you can kind of get some sort of satisfaction out of knowing that you're like doing something to address the issues? Yeah, I mean, we are really trying our best to just like change Philippine society. I mean, you can say it's a cliche, like revolution, yeah, whatever. But there's a real revolution going on in the Philippines. There's a 50-year-old civil war and there's a a bunch of guerrillas in the countryside who uh, took up arms because they're tired of everything. So... Uh, some of them are even like uh, trying to like start their own autonomous uh, government in their remote areas and just like do collect- collective farming and just live on their own without the government's help. And they set up like their own clinics. They set up their own uh, uh, schools. They set up. Yeah, because you can't you can't actually you can't depend on the government, especially when the government is fucking you up. And if you're in like a remote area or like in the mountains, how can you expect them to help you? They just want money and they just want to protect their power. So yeah, there's an, a revolution going on and uh, I'm pretty like optimist that someday, someday we'll achieve like genuine liberation. Yeah. You can listen to and buy AJ's band's music at namataisainge.bandcamp.com. That's N-A-M-A-T-A-Y-S-A-I-N-G-A-Y.bandcamp.com and materialsupport.bandcamp.com. As I'm recording this, both of those bands are on tour on the West Coast, but they'll be back playing shows all around New York soon if you're located here. You can find more info on AJ's organizing work at migranteinternational.org. If you want to learn more about the Philippines under the Marcos dictatorship referenced in this interview, check out the 2016 documentary Forbidden Memory and the 1997 documentary Batas Militar. Thanks Erica Davies for those recommendations and Jolie Maya Alchuler for the edit notes on this episode. This is my first time doing an outro for Protest and Survive, taking a cue from Sophia Steiner Avoy, who guest produced and hosted last month's episode. So a big thanks to Ryan Woodhall for all the sound consultation in getting this podcast off the ground. And of course, thanks to AJ Santos for sharing this extremely powerful and personal story. I'm your host, Reed Dunley, and you've been listening to Protest and Survive. From the schemes 